When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Cricket is back and in full swing. William Hill is the place to be for cricket punters this year with a suite of offers across all formats of the game, domestically and internationally. Check out all William Hill's in-play offers along with all the latest odds and promotions at williamhill.com or on on the free app, 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. My name is Miles Jupp. I'm joined as ever by uh, serial fantasist Mark Wood. Hello, Mark. Hello, Miles. Thanks for that introduction. I don't know why, it was just the first thing that came to me. Uh, I know I've had long, lengthy, detailed lists in the past. What have you been up to? Uh, not a lot, really. Um, just starting. Oh, describe describe it in great detail, then. Yes, well, um, my son um, has had his first uh, batch of medicine, and that has been interesting. Trying to get the little yellow. It, it reminds me of when I was a kid. You had to take that yellow medicine. Oh, horrendous! It smells. It stains. Did he have to have jabs? No, no. He's just had like he's got like a little infection on his tongue or something like that so they've, they've given some antibiotics but it's it's not it's not the buttercup syrup that my mom used to give me that made my tummy feel really warm it's this horrible <laughs> yellow stuff that, that smells and stains it's horrendous we used to have this thing called gripe water in our medicine cupboard when i was a little boy and i'm not sure what it's meant to do but i used to think it was absolutely delicious and I used to sort of, when no one was looking, creep into the bathroom and open up a big bottle. I mean, it was probably something they'd had in their medicine cupboard since the early 60s. And this, I was the same with the buttercup syrup. I, I, it, had, it mustn't have had any medical help about it whatsoever, but it tasted good. And if I had it, it was like the blue smarty. I'd be like, right, I'm better now. And I've got, <laughs> I've got no idea. All I will say is about this yellow thing. Every time he takes I get the song, um, a little bit of sugar let the medicine go down every time you take it. Bit of Mary Poppins. Yes. I can, yeah. Yeah, you've, well, I've always actually thought, and not just speaking to you but watching you bowl, that there's more than a, more than a whiff of the Julie Andrews about you. Because you see the other players, they all sort of run down the steps from the pavilion, don't they? Whereas, Whereas I fall. 
<laughs> now sort of 10 players come out you come down on an umbrella don't you <laughs> yeah when you take your child for their first jabs that's the work that's the thing because that is that's essentially a betrayal you've spent lots of time sort of being nice and sharing people with love and then you take them to a to a place on a little outing and then there's a sort of very smiley doctor and everyone's lovely and then suddenly you do this you know this awful thing happens and that's the probably the first moment that you basically have to you know, trust trust is broken. So that's something to look forward to, Mark. Yeah, that is a, that is a, that is in my forty. That was my that was my wife's job. That um, as an angry fastball, I'll please people to know that I absolutely can't stand needles. So I have to uh, I have to be out of the room. I couldn't I couldn't watch him get a needle. It just wouldn't wouldn't work for me. And as a guy that gets a cortisone injection every six months, you think I'd be used to needles by now, but I, I can't stand them. I well, I went for my first vaccination this week. Yeah, how did that go? Um, I it was a nice little outing. I it was quite late in the day, my one, so there wasn't wasn't sort of busy queuing, and it was. I didn't realise there was that sort of fifteen minute bit. You have to sort of check that you're all right. And is that what, how you've grown that third ear? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the seeing ear, as I call it. <laughs> yeah. The the whole needle thing has thrown me off. I'm I'm in bad mood already. Is that going to turn you into a sort of anti-vaxxer? Absolutely not. I'm, I will definitely get it. Definitely get it. I, I think it's just from my childhood bad experience of who I. I don't know his name, but I christened him Doctor Needleman. So, yeah. from a bad experience with Doctor Needleman, was he a real doctor or a, or an unfortunate neighbour? <laughs> He's a real doctor. <laughs> um, but yeah, all medical things are going off in this house. My wife's about to have a, a toe removed today. Um, she's got an infection in her big toe. She's obviously a fastballer, so um, yeah. she's got the fastballer's injury. Which is, uh, Why doesn't she just cut a hole in the front of her bowling boot? She should have done. I've been telling her for years, but she's too stubborn. Uh, she just keeps tightening her spikes and, and, and leaving the house. When you say toe removed, do you, is that what you mean? Uh, a toenail. A toenail. Oh, right. That is... That is Not the whole toe. When you said you said she's having her toe removed, I thought you were that was very blasé about it. Yeah, she, she'd go to move off and just fall over. She'd be, she'd be taking every leaf out of my book then, wouldn't she? <laughs> <laughs> I uh I major upheaval um in my life um which is that yesterday uh, some men arrived at our house to move we have a piano and we've had it when we first bought it we wanted to have it upstairs and the people that took it to the house said we're not taking it upstairs and then I asked around and someone said oh so and so moves pianos so finally after however many years we've had it had this man he said he'd come and move it upstairs and he came the other day, he took measurements, said, yeah, it's fine. We put it on this thing called a shoe that we put the piano on. We carry it up around the corner. Absolutely fine. And then he <laughs> he came yesterday. I eventually had to leave the house after three hours with this thing. <laughs> there was five blokes halfway up the stairs with this piano on its side. The thing they'd bought was too big. I was sort of sitting in the kitchen trying... I thought, that's all right, I'll just be here if they need anything, as if, as if there was any assistance I could whatever. Just listen to them say things. At one point I heard one of them say... Maybe we should ask if they've got any other stairs. Which I thought is, oh no! Were you not given I, like instructions, like guiding them? I don't. I just really didn't think that it was a situation that I could help at all. And then, so, so what were they like key workers or something? They were. They were, they were oh, removal. Miles, I've that up. Oh, key worker. Oh my Come god! On. Sorry, Mark, because Come you're so please. sincere all the time. Oh, I've absolutely. I can't see the wood for the trees. Sometimes I. I didn't realise there was. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was a, that was very high level work. So, so all in all, is everything all right? I said to them, "That's 
being painted soon i don't mind a few scratches right that's all I, that's all i said and then before i got home back home again there was a message on the phone from the removal man saying there's a small scratch in the a small dent in the lid of the piano you might want to have a look at and then i got home and having listened to this message in addition to the small dent in the piano <laughs> honestly it take the banisters were broken there was about six 16 chunks of plaster taken out of the wall. It looked like the sort of siege of Tobruk. Oh, I've literally got the Ross, Ross of Friends pivot in my mind here. Pivot! Pivot! <laughs> <laughs> he rang again. He said, have you, he said, have you found the dent in the piano? I said, what about... <laughs> I have noticed the small dent in the piano. What about the plaster? He said, I'm not so bothered about that, to be honest. But the way I look at it is... <laughs> I think the main thing is it's up there now. <laughs> I was like, I can only... I just sort of thought, well, there we go. We'll have to do it. It was absolutely staggering. As I've sent you, I will send you the photo. It is... Honestly, you can, you, can, you can tell they've been. So have you been playing sort of downbeat music on the piano ever since in, in Sorrow? Do, 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 do. <laughs> no, I've been as ever playing, you know, really exciting, fun music. No, I do <laughs> Just been just doing the normal stuff, just whatever comes out, you know. Have you have you managed to watch any IPL in your downtime? Uh, I watched. I did watch one. I cannot remember who was playing, nor can I remember the result. <laughs> Great. Mm. Did you watch that one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hang on. I watched the game. Moeen Ali was playing in the game. I watched a bit of. Yeah, the Chennai game. I've, I've watched. I've tried to watch. I've been in and out, but I've tried to watch some of the games that the English lads have been involved in, just to see how they're getting on. Um, it was nice to watch the Wokes v Butlast game last night. Uh, Wokes, you managed to get Joss out. Um, and the, the first like three or four balls, Joss was like leaving Wokesy. And I thought, this never, ever happens. The amount of respect between these two. I'll just ball it wide and I'll just leave it. It was just like, oh, these two good friends. And um, it was that, that was nice to watch. But Wokesy got him out in the end. Um, and he hardly celebrated. It was one of those like score, scoring a goal against your former team. He just didn't celebrate. But it's nice to say that like the, the lads have done all right so far when I've been watching. So I hope that continues. It's, it's probably what's made the difference, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, same about Wook, uh, Stokesy, though, isn't it? It's broke his finger. Well, and yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he plays too much cricket. No, that's a silly thing to say. <laughs> but. It's not in the long term if it gives him a bit of time off. But as you say, having time off, how will that suit, to, from your point of view, the way he likes to train? Nah, it'll not be good. He'd be, he'd be good around the group, giving plenty of encouragement and and um, little insights here and there. He's not someone that screams and shouts on the rooftops. He just sort of, if people go to him and ask, he has good things to say and um, he'll have little inputs here and there, which are good. But he trains ridiculously hard at his cricket, ball and bat and field and so um, he's probably, you know, tearing up the walls there, thinking I, I just want to do something. Now then, we have uh, a guest on today, don't we, Mark? Yes, I will. I will give you the nickname of the guest, and just from the nickname alone, okay, which I got from uh, Wikipedia. You tell me who it is. The nickname is Waggy. Is it the dog who played uh, Beethoven? <laughs> no, it's Danny Wyatt. I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketers Gin. Cricketers Gin is the perfect podcast partner, as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinkney's Green, Berkshire. 
Over a G&T, the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketers features milk thistle, wild marjoram and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. Cricketers, a small batch gin and a family-owned business. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders, and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. But the result will be similar. Boundary of the first ball, and Danny White brings up a second hundred in international T20s. So, uh, we welcome to the show today, Danny Wyatt. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I've heard a lot about this podcast. Oh, it's, it, is, it is the in podcast, I feel, males at the minute. Well, I think since Jack Leach got behind it, he's got an enormous, enormous sort of um, social networking reach and stuff like that. He's sort of brought in, I, I suppose, what a cooler, younger crowd. Well, Kate Cross and Alex Hartley won't shut up about their podcast. They've been trying to get me on for the last couple of years. And you've come on ours? Wow. Yeah, I told Kate the other day that I was coming on and she was like, I can't believe you've gone on theirs before ours. <laughs> she wasn't very happy. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I'm sorry if we've caused any sort of major domestic upheaval. <laughs> Um, where does then the the uh, Danny White cricket story begin? How can we ask? How, how did you first get into the game as an enthusiast or player? It was up in um, Newcastle under Lyme at Whitmore Cricket Club. So my older brother Ryan used to play, and I just went along to one of his sessions. And the coach was like, "Danny, come and have a bowl." Um, and at this point, I used to play football for Stoke City ladies and my local club um, in Newcastle. And I absolutely loved football. Didn't really know much about cricket at this point. And yeah, my dad was like, yeah, go on, Dan. And, you know, there was full of boys. There was no girls in sight apart from me. And yeah, it didn't really bother me. And I just went for it. And the coach was like, gosh, you're actually not bad at bowling. And yeah, it just went from there. And I'm still at that club right now. So Do you get do you get to play that club much? Uh, no, not really because of England commitments and domestic matches. But um, I try and get down whenever I can. So Friday nights is junior training. So I try and go down on Fridays. But because we train all week, Saturday is normally my day off. So I don't really want to be playing for Whitmore on my day off. But I do go down when I can. And yeah, they've always supported me up until now which is really nice and it's great to help out when I can and coach the juniors down there. So it was bowling the first thing that you attempted then? Yeah I used to well I used to bowl seam I don't know what it was but I wasn't growing very quickly I wasn't growing as fast as my friends and my dad was like right I think you should turn to spin because you're not very tall um, <laughs> so I was like right okay so I turned to off spin um, and I got into the England team as an off spinner Used to open the bowling, bowling around the wicket. Used to just bowl darts at leg stump. Like a sort of right-handed Samit Patel sort of, but right-handed. Yeah, kind of. Dart it in at the leg stump. Lovely. She's a bit taller than males. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, kind of yipped up kind of in a World Cup. And I was like, I don't know what it is. My low back hurts. And I felt like I couldn't even get the ball down there. And luckily my batting was on the rise at this point. 
And I actually haven't bowled much for England since that game about six years ago against the Aussies. And now I'm opening the batting for England. I've been opening for the last few years. So I've had a weird story. What did you do about your batting? So you said it was on the rise. Did you just did you hit loads of balls? Like did you just practice? Did you do something different? What did you what did you do? So you know Ali Maiden. Yeah. He's top man, top batting coach. Um and he literally just threw balls at me in the nets for hours, just working on the basics, hitting straight. Because so many people came up to me and said, You've got so much talent, but you shouldn't be getting out at twenties, thirties, like they don't make careers like Mark Robinson. Um, ex-England coach he was a fantastic coach and he used to say to me you're too good to be getting out on 20 off 10 balls like looks good but it doesn't make careers and that stuck in my head um, and I was like right come on time to show the world what I can do went and smashed 100 off 56 balls against the Aussies opening the batting Get in. in one of the last T20 games in the Ashes and I think I was the first uh, England play male or female to a T twenty hundred. So yeah, that was a massive relief Brilliant. for me. And since then, I've not really looked back. In addition to all the all the, the training, though, the, what mentally, how how what is the effect of being moved up the order when you're when you're suddenly going out to open not a few wickets down? Does it does it automatically change the way that you approach what you're doing? Yeah, I think it's completely different. So I went from batting to well, I started my career batting at number eight. Then I went up to six, then back to eight. And then they tried me opening for a, a couple of months in the World Cup, kind of as a pinch hitter role. But I kind of knew I was better than that and something needed to change. And yeah, after a few years, I was like, right, come on, be a bit more selfish, kind of. Um, and just hit balls of valley, just worked on the basics. I actually did well back to number six because... I don't know, I thought, because they kept saying that they could see me playing any role by number six or opening. A bit like Joss Butler, but I'm not as good as him. He's just quality. So, yeah, it is completely different. So, yeah, I do like opening the batting. I think in T20 as well, opening the batting for England is the best place to bat. And I don't want to leave. I'll be happy to opening the batting in T20. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, I suppose, that thing you've had the... Playing in the era that you do, you, you're able to do this, you know, for so many teams, I suppose. You can go and play around the world. And each time that, you know, <laughs> I suppose each time there's another England Women's Series, in, but since the last one, you will have gone and had some other completely new experience in a completely different environment. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's all, we're really lucky now. We've got the Big Bash we can go and play in, the Women's IPL T20 Challenge, although it's only two games we play in. And then we've got the KSL in England. We've got the 100 coming up. Um, so women's cricket's come such a long way now we didn't used to have these competitions when I first started playing uh, but yeah it's great to be playing with and against some of the best players in the world and like you said we've got all of these different environments to play in which you can only learn from I think I've learned so much from playing in the big bash in Australia with some of the best players in the world what's the biggest thing you've gotten from that I think it's you know, going into an environment that you've never had before, been in an environment full of Australians, <laughs> which can be can be difficult at times. Um, I think they just beat us in the World T20 final in the Caribbean and then I had to go and join up with half of the Aussie squad in my Melbourne Renegades team, which was quite tough. Like, I turned up and they were just ripping me as soon as I turned up and I was like, come on now. Um, <laughs> it's not like an Aussie. Bloody Aussies. I, I love going out to Australia and playing in, in the big bash and 
you know, having the likes of Elise Perry bowling at you um, and working with some of the other best players from around the world and having those, you know, learning off them as well, seeing how they train and then tell them what you do and then you can just learn on each other. Totally agree with that. I reckon when I went to the IBL, I only played one match. I was just part of the squad. But I picked up little things like I was doing work with um, Bravo on a slow ball. He was trying to teach us how to do it. I didn't do it very well, but he was yeah. trying to teach us. And it's all like you meet different people and see how they do things. And it's so much like that. They're, the way that I would think about the game, I remember going there and like, I was like, oh, we've got to train. I've got to do this. I've got to bowl mm-hmm. a certain amount of balls. Like Bravo bowled like about six balls, slow balls. And then he was like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> and I was like, what, that's your training done? He's like, yeah, man, I'm sweet. I was like, I not believe it. I was like, what am I doing wrong Yeah, <laughs> That's a bit like me. Like, I'm more quality over quantity. So I will hit for 20 minutes before a game and feel really good. Whereas you've got someone like Elise Perry who will bat for two hours until she feels good. Whereas that's not me, but that works for her and that works for me. So yeah, that's what you learn over the years, isn't it? Who trains hardest in the England team then in that way? Probably the captain, Heather Knight. She's yeah, she probably bats the longest. Must be a captain thing. Good trainer. Roots are same. Yeah, it's a captain thing. It's a million <laughs> balls. Yeah, I don't know how they do it, but I guess yeah, I'm a T20 player. She loves the test match, whereas yeah, I'm a bit different. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll turn up if asked. I mean, it's not a complete. Um... <laughs> well, I've been. We've got a test match coming up against India this summer, um, and I'm 30 years old next week which I'm scared about. Oh, that's right, yeah. 20, 22nd of April. Happy happy birthday for then. Thank you. Or perhaps it's been when the time this has been broken. Not thought about it yet. We've got a test match coming up in June against India and I've never played a test match before. I've been 12th man for five out of the six tests I've been involved in. So we'll see what happens. Well, if, if you end up having to carry the water out, uh, there is no better person to ask advice from, from Mark Wood, who... <laughs> This winter, honestly, and this is—I think it was an experience you picked up in the IPL, Mark. You have—you've carried what—you've carried water out to some of the best players in the world. Yeah, and all that—that that done, it just—it's just made you a better hydrator of your teammates. Mm. And I'm, I've thought about it over the years, but I think you know, am I keeping them too hydrated? Maybe I should, if I tip them over the edge of it, I might get a game. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy job. I've had my fair share of carrying on the drinks. Do you know how you mentioned um, Australia before, Danny? What's what's the atmosphere like? Do you, do you get much stick off the crowd? I mean, I, I, it's a fantastic tournament, isn't it? And I see that they get crowds in, and I suppose it's the same over here. But like, what's the atmosphere like in a like a women's international T Twenty or a, a big bash game? Is it is that much needle or is it good atmosphere? What's it like? Okay, so my first Ashes trip to Australia must have been two thousand and thirteen. Around then, there was literally a man and his dog in the crowd. Um, yeah, there was no one there. It was just the parents were in the crowd. So, yeah, that was pretty uh, different to what we get now. So then I toured Australia again in, like, 2017, 18 time. And, yeah, there were sellout crowds. So it just shows how far the women's game has come, like, just from that experience. Um, and I'm a, I feel on the boundary, so I get some of the crowd behind me and they... I get the odd piece of stick, but nothing like you guys get. But yeah, because we're not really used to it. So when we do get a bit of abuse, I don't know, I quite enjoy it. So I just turn around and laugh at them. <laughs> but yeah, I don't mind it. I just laugh at it. But I can imagine it's nothing like what you guys get. It's not really clever, like. No. You're probably like me. You probably just turn around and laugh at them. Yeah, it's not much. There's not much you can say back. Like, it's just, no. it's not even, not even that good. 
do you think the hundred? Are you, are you? Is that that's a sort of step forward, isn't it? I think, like in particularly in the in the women's game, in terms of parity, is that am I, is that an ignorant remark, or is that is that a good thing about it? Yeah, like we're really looking forward to the hundred, and I think it's great that we're going to be playing alongside the men. I think all the matches are double headers as well. I think we're all playing at three o'clock, and then the guys will play later at seven. You know, we'll probably get a crowd in towards the end of our game because that's when they'll be coming in to watch the men's. But yeah, I suppose it is. It's going to be really good for exposure of the women's game, and it's managed to attract some of the best overseas from around the world, which is only going to be really good for the game. Um, same with the men as well. I just really hope that people do come and watch the women's game because it is. You know, it's get taught. It gets talked about quite a lot that men's and women's cricket is not on the same level. It's completely different, and it is. It is different. It's completely different. But we're not as big as like I'm not as big as Chris Gale. He can just tap it for six. I have to work really hard <laughs> to at six, and it is really. It is a difficult game. And if you could face any of the men and you could whack them, which ball would you love to whack? Don't say me here, mate, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't like to face you. Um... <laughs> Oh, gosh. I don't know. Probably Joff Roch. <laughs> <laughs> he bowled at me in a in appearance for the 100 with a win ball. I said, yeah, Joff, come and bowl at me because we're in the same team, Southern Brave. And um, I thought he was going to bowl slow at me. It was only a win ball. Had no harm on, no class. <laughs> and he just bowled, bowled at me off one step. Literally flew past my head. I was like, Joff. <laughs> and it was quite a hard win ball. If that hit me in the head. Wouldn't have been happy, but I reckon if if we faced men's bowlers more often, we could get used to it. I think I think you'd be because there would be pace on the ball as well. You just get used to it. I mean, the technique of the women, that's thing. You just would be away. Yeah, we're all technically the same as you guys, but we're obviously not as strong, so it actually is slightly harder. Do you think like um like with the rate that the women's game's development? Do you think in years to come there'll be a ninety mile an hour women's bowler? Yeah, definitely in time. I reckon in the next couple of years for sure. There's a girl that plays for the Aussies called Taylor Vlamanik, who bowls. She's probably the quickest female bowler of face. She bowls. I think she was clocked at late seventies, and she used to play for the Renegades with me. And I faced her indoors, and I'm sure she was bowling about eighty miles an hour, uh, swinging it in as well. And then, it, it, yeah, it was quite difficult to face, but. And we've got a girl coming through the ranks of England called Izzy Wong, who's very, very quick for her age. I reckon she could, she could be the first to hit eighty-five, ninety. I think that's you know when that when that time comes, that'll be, that'll be really good for the for the women's game. Because I've watched a lot of women's cricket this year on on television, and obviously like the the skill levels are just so high. I mean, also the thing about having. On like now TV or whatever you watch, you watch England men's cricket from the nineteen nineties, and like the, the standards of feeling, fielding, or general athleticism or whatever. And a lot of these people have gone on to be perfectly serviceable umpires. But you know, you you you, you, you <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like if you look at just say the ground fielding now across men's and and women's games, I mean, just the level of skills are so much higher. It doesn't seem inconceivable at all that those other sides like pace and what have you would just would just rise and rise. I mean, is is there a player that you've played with in the women's game, Danny, who is in any way like Mark Wood? Either either in terms of physicality or, in a way, worse uh, personality. Oh gosh, probably someone like oh I don't know, Catherine Brunt's funny. She's a joker. 
I've heard Woody's very funny. Kate Cross probably likes to think she's like Woody. It's a myth. <laughs> I don't know. We've got a few jokers in the team. Hang on, how, how fast is Catherine Bruntpole? She looks incredibly quick to me. Do you know what? Because she, she's so small, she's very skidding. It comes on to you quicker than it actually says on the That's what, on Woody, the TV. Woody's I reckon, little. yeah, like Woody, you're small and skiddy. Uh, what are you, Woody, about five, six, something like that? <laughs> Bronte Ball's about, oh, she's going to hate me for this. Probably 72, 73. She thinks she balls 80. Well, it looks 80. When I watch a ball, I, from when I first saw a ball, a skill level now is so high as well. Like, so when I first watched, watched that ball, it was sort of like she was the pace baller. But now she um, balls a lot of wobble seam, cutters, swings the ball as well. So it's actually a skill set now. Not just the pace, she's developed. Obviously, she's got so many wickets, but she's developed a bit like, say, like our two big lads, Jimmy and Brody, where like game, where they first started to now where they're on their career. So she must have done loads of work in the same way you've done with your batting. She's getting better and better with age because everyone keeps saying, "Oh, Nani, she's." I think she's thirty-six now, and everyone as soon as you're in your thirties, everyone's like, "Oh, retirement." So you've only got a few days left, then, Danny. I know. Yeah, everyone will be saying, "I'm retiring soon." <laughs> But yeah, Catherine's skill has definitely gone up. She's uh, one of, I think she's the best bowler in the world by a mile. We've got some great bowlers in England. Anya Shrubsole, she's working on some variations. Um, yeah, I don't like facing them in the net. I just watched that World, the highlights of that World Cup final again this morning. So I was talking to my my mum actually, who reminded me that she'd been at that thing, Aww. and it's extraordinary. And that, and that spell as well, she gets quicker during that that spell. I suppose that's also part of the confidence and just adrenaline. The adrenaline of it, it really, that is, that is an amazing bit of cricket to watch. That is astonishing. I mean, your, your final was good, Mark, but that was, that really was, that was from nowhere, mate. That was amazing. Well, we won it, we won it out of nowhere. I don't know how we won it. And Anya was actually struggling throughout the whole World Cup, just struggling with the bowling. And then she just came on in that second spell in the final and pulled out of nowhere. Is she a confidence bowler? Yeah, I think she is. I'm not sure what was going on in the World Cup, but she just struggled with her line, and I'm not sure. But she um, pulled out the bag in that final, just bowled straight in swing, because she swings it. She really does hoop it on her day with the new ball. She's not very nice to to face in the nets when she's doing that, but, yeah, she was outstanding. Do you face each other a lot in the nets? Because I know some of our top batters, so, for example, Morgie, he will only have dogs that he doesn't face the pace bowlers because I don't think he. I think the nets are a bit enclosed and he doesn't like that feeling. Do you have to do that? Do you like doing that? Do you not like doing that? Like facing the bowler? Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't really enjoy it, but it gets me out of my comfort zone and it is good practice. But I, I prefer middle practice. I like to see where I can hit the ball. I'm probably a bit like Owen. I don't really like just hitting into the net. Mm. I love range hitting. Love range hitting. <laughs> you see where I've hit the ball. In terms of like gro- growing as a as a cricketer, then what what are the the best experiences you've had on a on a cricket field that have enabled you to improve? And what are the things that have been most difficult to endure? I suppose, but uh, that as a result of you you've uh, grown as a player. Um, you, they say you always learn from the toughest. Parts of the game, so probably tours to India where it's been really tough. Um, tours when we've had the Aussies over, so we had Australia over a couple of years ago in the Ashes and we just couldn't win a game. It was so tough and 
yeah it was wasn't a fun times at all but I felt like I learned so much about my game and like my mental part of the game because I was nowhere mentally and there's been a lot of talk about you know what goes on in your brain and I probably didn't communicate to my coaches and players as much as I should have the first few years of my career um I was trying to find myself as a player I, I didn't even think that the coach believed in me I didn't even like I probably lost doubt in my ability which is easily done in cricket sounds very similar to me this like that sort of one breakthrough bit where you start to believe in yourself yeah like, first five five your first hundred you start to have that self-belief and that um feeling that you actually belong in an England team rather than just on the outskirts yeah it's a horrible feeling thinking you know, I've got to really perform in this game or else I'll be dropped again. Does the turnaround from, from that feeling, does that come from performances or is it actually in terms of an attitude and like communication within within the group? I mean, can you, if, if you're sort of treated well and communicated with well, does that, can that do as much as actually just being able to point at the scorebook and go, well, I've done this? Well, for me, I like to feel a belonging in the team like Woody said like the first few years I didn't really feel a big part of the team and it's not a nice feeling but I guess I was a youngster coming in and you've got the likes of Charlotte Edwards as captain who's an amazing leader um well yeah ultimately I think if you feel confident and you feel backed by your teammates your coach your family yourself you've got to believe in yourself ultimately um that then goes on to your performances onto the pitch so totally agree with that, I think if you feel good like say if I'm batting and I'm like it's kind of like a confident arrogance about yourself I think that's key I think as soon as you think oh I'm not good enough here I'm gonna get out they my coach thinks I'm rubbish coach thinks I'm probably gonna get 20 and then get out like it is true the, the funny thing for me is I reckon I reckon the coaches backed me and, and your teammates backed you, but mm. the, the bit that you said there was that your own self-belief. So um, I think they, they can give you all the backing that you want and you mm-hmm. in being part of the team, like I was around the team, but actually it was more inwardly that I didn't in myself believe that I that I felt part of it. Until you perform, I feel like that was like a huge relief off my shoulders because then I felt like I did belong. So was that 100 then, when you scored that first 100 off like 56 balls, Was that did that transform the way you've, you feel about the game? Well, the game before that, I was batting at six and I hit my first T20-50. So that probably started me off and then I backed it up. So then Mark Robinson the night before the game was like, right, Danny, we're going to open with you. I was like, okay, like really excited. And we were going home the next day. It was like the last game of the tour. And I was really excited to get home. And I really wasn't thinking about the fact we needed to win to draw the ashes, that I need to perform. I don't know what it was. My brain was just so clear. And I just kind of, not didn't care, but kind of just went out there and tried to have fun. Next minute, I got 100 off 56 balls. And I was like, wow, where's that come from? And then, yeah, it was a massive relief. I just remember waking up the next day on the way to the airport and I was like, oh, I've finally done it. I've finally shown the world what I can do. It's funny you say that. Did you look at the scoreboard? Because when I, when I got five weeks in St. Lucia, yeah. I didn't see it really could have moved the field anywhere. 
and I didn't see the fielder. I just saw the batter and where I wanted to go, which is like what you're talking about there, like obviously in the zone as people talk about. But I just felt like at the time, I didn't really care about anything else. Like you said, I just didn't I didn't care. Like it was just like it, I'd been in and out the team. I was a bit sort of like, oh, well, I'm just going to enjoy this. And I was so focused on the batter that I just didn't realise. Were you looking at the scoreboard? Did you see your score? Did you just not care? Did you see the field as? No, because everyone else kept getting out. We were struggling. We were like, must have been 30 odd for four. Come on, Danny, tear it up. Tear it up. It was a dodgy wicket. No, it was, no, 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 no. It was a road. <laughs> it was an absolute road. <laughs> and we were chasing to like the highest score ever it was like I think the Aussies because Beth Mooney hit 100 in the first innings and they hit 190 odd so the only way to go and play was to be aggressive and kind of hit every ball for four or six but we were struggling like 30 odd for four and I was like right I'll just keep going like there's no point dotting off I'm just gonna try and hit boundaries and then before I knew it I was on 99 like that's when I first got nervous I was like looked at the scoreboard and I said to Heather Knight, I was like, Trevor, I'm on 99. And um, she started laughing. She, she takes the make out my accent. I was like, Trevor, I'm on 99, what's going on? And then Elise Perry was running in. And that's when I, the only time I felt nervous for whole innings. And she bowled it luckily outside off. And I just stuck my back there. And it went out to deep cover and I was like, oh, thank God for that. That, that, that is like Joss Butler, that's just, 34 for four, let's just keep going. That is proper. Yeah, well, there's no point hanging around. It's got to keep the intent up. And because it was the last game of the series, when, when you next met up then, did you have to say to the coach, you, you remember I open now? Can you remember that I'm, I'm an opener now? I'm the incumbent. <laughs> well, yeah, so we got home and then we had a few weeks off. We had a bit of time off. And then we had a tour to India. So we had a tri-series against the Aussies in India, T20. Um, so I'm opening the batting. Went and got, Another 100, I got 124 off 60 balls. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, geez, like that's like it's very rare that a batter gets 100 in a T20 match. The main question are you a glove toucher or a bat tapper in the middle of the wicket? Uh, glove toucher. I love a punch. Miles, what would you be? Um, I'm, I think, no, a, a glove puncher. That's, I mean, it's very. <laughs> You know, you've got to stick around for a whole over to earn the right to uh, do any. Body, what do you do? Yeah, I'm a uh, glove puncher, but there's a lot of people now who do the old bat tap, but I, I kind of, I kind of do that. I'm too old school. Just want the, the old punch. Mm, bat tap and a punch. I like the Jack Russell method he was talking about of going and tapping the other person's pads. Although I can see how ultimately you could break your batting partner by. Mm. Well, still, he does that brush sweep, doesn't he? At the end of every over, he does that weird. Um, Sweeps the crease with his bat. Oh yeah, he does. Do you know what I do? I do that sometimes. Have you got superstitions then, Danny? Is there stuff that you always have to do? Mark has got a hole. I mean, goodness me. I don't. I'm not that superstitious, but I don't eat duck and pancakes the night before a game. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't go anywhere near duck before a match. I'm like, no way. <laughs> we have time now for a, a, a feature that I personally love because. It doesn't really involve me. Um, it is Mark Wood's, Mark Wood's super over. Um, do you know what this is? No. So we've got 90 seconds on the clock. Uh, you've got to say the first thing that comes to your head. We've got about 10 or 12 questions. Miles is going to time it. Say the first thing that comes to your head, basically. Yeah, don't don't think, just speak. I oh, guess. gosh, got to be careful what I say here. <laughs> well, remember when Jack Russell got bitten by his wife? 
Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that was extraordinary. Yeah, you'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Danny Wyatt. Right. Are we ready? <laughs> okay. On your marks, get set. Go. Turning pitch or green top? India. Turning pitch. I don't know Great. why that came to my head. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> do I have to wait? Do I have to say one of the things? Maybe that's that you the answer said? to the next question. <laughs> one ahead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which country is Mumbai in? <laughs> Favorite TV dog. Favorite TV dog. Oh, the dog off Come Fly With Me that we used to watch when we were little. I can't remember the dog's name, though. I'll take it. Little old lady in the airplane. Last photo you took? Last photo I took... Uh, yesterday when I went out for a cup of tea. Lovely. What's your favourite cricket ground? Um, Lords. If a duck flew at you, would you duck or fight back? Duck. Good answer. Bounce batsman. Typical. Steam room or sauna? Steam room. Nice. Favourite player as a child? Shame one. Heaviest thing you've ever dropped on your foot? A dumbbell. Oof, nasty. What's the worst thing you've been bitten by? My dog. <laughs> I had a Rottweiler. <laughs> uh, name three PSL teams. PSL teams? I don't watch the PSL. Um, Karachi. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. Last but not least, Miles is, sta- is stealing apples from your garden. What do you shout at him? Don't touch my apple. Oh, <laughs> by the barest of all margins. F- firm but fair, and I would, I would obey instantly. That's no that's, one. Yeah. Every time we do this, no one knows any of the PSL teams. Do they? Every time, no, I, someone said one of them's got a Q in it. I can't. Is there the Qualanders or something? The Islam, yeah. Yeah. Karachi is the only place I know in Pakistan, so I said that. Um. Yeah, but at least, at least you were bitten by a Rottweiler, not by your wife, like Jack Russell, who said, "We said, what's the worst thing you've been bitten by?" And he said, my wife. That's insane. <laughs> what, what was really good about it was, though, in, uh, was that it created an incredibly awkward atmosphere. <laughs> but I think it sounds awkward, clean fun, doesn't it? Thank you very much indeed uh, for coming on Middle Please Umpire. Danny Wyatt. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And have a, have a great summer. Thank you, you too. Well, that's Danny Wyatt. She's, uh, she's a remarkable cricketer, I think. And it's amazing, actually, that thing of sort of changing, like during a career, to, to change the, the type of cricketer you are hmm. uh, so dramatically. That, I think that takes an enormous amount of sort of mental strength, really. Courage. I think um, I resonate actually with quite a lot you said there. So things about self-belief and, and adapting a game, moving up the order, things like that, that you said. I know mine's from a bowling perspective, but I, I, I actually did resonate with quite a lot you said so well it was interesting there was a podcast i think maybe the first one we recorded you went through a list of people that in your opinion definitely were good enough to play international cricket but they hadn't had that in the sort of time available they hadn't had that one breakthrough moment i suppose and that's what she was saying just being pushed up the order and then well scoring the 50 and then scoring the the 100 just having that thing and being able to point at the scoreboard and go i should be here i I belong. So I like the way I can see you, obviously, on the screen, and you look you look excited when she says things that you agree with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, from the outside, though, I feel like, and probably in the same similar way for myself, that you know, the team. I, I would assume that her name would be on the team sheet. Yeah. It, it, it's like I didn't ever think that 
she wasn't part of that England group or she wasn't part of the team or she wasn't a main player. But I suppose now we've had, you know, she's talking about, you know, some years ago, I suppose. And it's very interesting. Obviously, when you, you join a team, you know, you're not in a position to say, are you? Well, it's really exciting to be playing for England. Obviously, I don't have any confidence yet, even though that's presumably what a lot of people must feel until you took your wickets and yeah. Yeah. to lose here, perhaps. Yeah. You know, and you've you've got to sort of be in a way dishonest about how you're feeling because you're making your way, and that's uh, it was great to hear that because as well she's very you know she's a very confident seeming yeah. person. No, no, I think she is confident. But I think you are confident in your own ability. You just want to show that. I think that's what it is. It just needs that one breakthrough bit, like you said. Now, a, a few weeks ago, we asked the question about whether or not anyone had seen any uh, professional cricketers at petrol stations um this question was prompted by a now much much treasured anecdote uh, i told about uh, very very briefly encountering joe root at a, at a euro garage on the uh, uh, a449 um so uh, our mailbag uh, it turns out is now absolutely groaning mark absolutely groaning with uh, with sightings uh, we are building up quite a picture of uh, the movements i've got goosebumps with excitement well it's extraordinary really isn't it i mean just what what we're building the, the picture we're building up of the movements uh, of uh, professional cricketers networking it's just as they crisscross it's extraordinary so uh, i'm going to go through some of these ones in uh, in the correspondence pile here we go Catherine Goebel says she saw Rory Burns at the KFC uh, Leicester Forest East services uh, after a game at Grace Roads uh, does that tally with what you have known of Rory Burns the man Mark I'm surprised by the old KFC uh, obviously with um, it must have been a desperation maybe late on not much is open and he's just gone for the easy option it was after the game not during I think that's important that to say important. it wasn't it wasn't pre-game mm. Um, uh, Richard Pedley saw former Gloucestershire captain Alex Gidman at Stonehouse petrol station. He was buying a Costa coffee. Uh, it's very interesting that people say not just who they saw, but what they were doing. Uh, Kevin Jones, uh, conversely, says Ashley Giles uh, was buying a Starbucks. Uh, bitter rivals of Costa Coffee, of course, <laughs> at uh, these services near Rosson. Why? I know the ones you mean. Uh, next time I pop in there, to think that I will be walking in the footsteps of no less no less than Ashley Giles. Uh, Tom Finnegar spotted Yorkshire's Matt Fisher at the SO on the A58 in Leeds, but was too scared to say anything whatsoever. Uh, how are we going to build the confidence of our listeners? I think sometimes it's not enough to see a professional cricketer at a petrol station. Well, what would you say, Miles? Uh, hello. What, oh, um, how, how are you finding... Too many ums. Too many ums. Yeah. Perhaps I'd just go over and say um... <laughs> uh, perhaps, perhaps we should come up with something that people could say that's an easy thing to say what about, um, maybe it's too formal uh, can I just say that I'm a great admirer of yours or is that too uh... that would be a little bit spooky <laughs> if Hello. someone comes well, up I'm, and says, I'm a great admirer yeah, that's, all, that's too much isn't it and I, I think also to say that also you want to dress in clothes as if you come from another century <laughs> um, perhaps sort of paint, put some makeup on so you look quite pale perhaps, do, perhaps sort of a head injury can I just say I'm a great admirer of yours <laughs> Um, when I was uh, doing a play in the West End with Robert Webb, I can't remember how it started. There was a sandwich shop near the theatre. Uh, and if I went into the sandwich shop and he was already in there, I used to, <laughs> as I passed behind him to go and choose a sandwich, I used to say, big fan. Uh, <laughs> like, say, into his right ear as I was going the other direction. He'd sort of keep jumping and, <laughs> and turning around. So, yeah, may, maybe don't do that. What would you like someone to say to you at a petrol station? I think just a simple, uh, hello, nice to meet you, uh, big fan of yours, uh, love your work, something like that. Simple, love your effective, work. 
rounded, can then converse back. Oh, thank you. Uh, have you been watching the match? Uh, have you been at the match? Um, what was the last match you've been to? See how things start flowing. Yeah, that's back. very good. Yeah, yeah. Are you up to anything later? Yeah, yeah. I can see whoa, how these things whoa, rumble whoa, whoa. on. That, that's a uh, I see. There's. I see. There's an offer on coal and bird tables. You could say. <laughs> Uh, perhaps offer them a can of <laughs> energy drink. Uh, oh, I'm just popping in there. Perhaps I could buy you a can of Relentless or whatever it might be. Uh, let, let me. I've, I bumped into. I mean, it, I noticed he was in the queue behind me. The uh, the film director Ken Loach once in uh, in a in a Costa, which I was surprised by. Didn't know that would be the sort of place he'd hang out. And uh, I so I said to him, Oh, uh, hi. Um, uh, can I buy you a coffee? And he went, I don't really have uh, time. I mean, oh, no, I literally, I just want to pay for your coffee. And he went, oh, okay. Now, he might have gone back to the office and thought, well, it was obviously terrifying, what an incredibly weird environment. Or he might have thought that was quite nice. I don't, I don't know. But I just, rather than just saying, hey, you know, everybody loves the wind that shakes the barley or all the things that people <laughs> normally sidle up to him and shout, I've got a Kestrel. Um, I just... Uh, <laughs> I just sort of thought, as someone that admires your work, I just want to buy you a coffee and leave it at that. Of course, if you bump into a professional cricket service station, I would suggest <laughs> you quietly and discreetly buy them a bird table <laughs> or some firewood. <laughs> Walk over to them, present it to them. Say, for instance, you're at, you know, uh, a service station, a branch of ESO. You look over, there's Ronnie Arani. You just nip over, pick up a bird table, you take it over <laughs> to him and say, Ronnie, this, this is from the lads on table seven. Every time someone who's a professional cricketer at a petrol station they should discreetly buy them something like a bird table <laughs> or a bag of coal and just say uh, this is from uh, me and the guys I just wanted to get you something as a token of my appreciation for what you do and they'll be like oh right <laughs> thanks so much you know just like some you know fat balls of the bird feed or whatever it is if people start doing this so we are going to create havoc but also we're plowing money back into the economy um uh Joe Stokes Newstat. In 1992, my dad spotted Essex players Neil Foster and Mark War just outside. Yes, of course, people forget about the Mark War that he was a he was an Essex player, but that's part of his CV. Uh, just outside Cheltenham at a petrol station after Essex visited Gloucestershire, he knew it was War's car, as it was back in the more innocent days when a sponsor's car, uh, when a sponsored car had the name of the famous occupant written on the side. Apparently, they bought a large quantity of sweets before speeding off, presumably towards Essex. Um, that reminds me of Keaton Jennings who had um, a car sponsor. And on the side of the car, it had Keaton Jennings. Um, another lovely drive by Keaton Jennings. And I will <laughs> never forget the bad game we had. <laughs> we both played at Trent Bridge. I played with a bruised heel and had done for 100. And Keaton had nicked off for the fifth time, caught the cock, bowled for Lander, and we were driving yeah. through Nottingham Town Centre past all the England fans. <laughs> <laughs> Another beautiful drive by Keenan <laughs> uh, This next letter is from Ali Martin, who, of course, is the cricket correspondent for The Guardian. Uh, dear Miles and Mark, um, circa the turn of the century, I had a part-time job at the since-demolished Shell Garage on Hills Road in Cambridge. Uh, the most famous sporting customer was the Ipswich and once-capped Netherlands footballer Martin Reusser. Is that how you pronounce his name? Um, I attempted some small talk, but he had zero interest. <laughs> I also remember being slightly surprised at what was a very bog-standard debit card for a man of his status. I can't really call any cricketers, although the weirdly debonair local vicar did used to pop in and buy a box of cafe creme cigars <laughs> every week. <laughs> 
That is uh, just ten cafe creme, please. Pop it on the tab. Um, however, I do remember listening with wide-eyed wonder on the day when my older brother told me he'd bumped into South Africa and Warwickshire's Alan Donald at a petrol station. In my head, Donald purchased two litres of white lightning to go with his fuel, but that's pretty much it for what is a very thin contribution and a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> keep up the good work, Ali. Sorry, keep up the good work, comma, Ali, as in best from Ali. Not, not, he's not... You know, he's not. In, Miles, how about we he's not encouraging this himself. question? So we, we've we've gone to petrol stations. We're talking about cars. We've had Danny Wyatt on talking about travelling uh, the world for playing for different teams. What about any away day stories? So does someone just get a game because they've got a big car? Um, has anyone vomited in a car uh, on the way to the game? Has anyone gone to the wrong ground? Or has anyone tried to fit 10 people into one car or travel by a minibus? How about something like that? Uh, yes, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, most difficult away days. Um, perhaps you have an anecdote about being completely blanked once by one of Mark's teammates when you attempted to talk to him. I know I do. I just won't say who it is. <laughs> um, um, there's another letter here. Um, uh, we'd also ask people about just some memories of uh, best or worst of watching England. Uh um, <laughs> Neil Dutton's worst England watching moment was not at the game itself, but nonetheless merits sharing. Uh, really loving the new season. The guests so far have been incredible. Thank you very much. Um, I've never met a cricketer at a petrol station, but I do have a slightly embarrassing tale that I would like to share with you. In 2003, as I prepared to set off for a fourth 11 game for Maghull CC just outside Liverpool, I was in our clubhouse watching a test between England and Zimbabwe. Our first 11 opponents already turned up, and while some of the more maniacal of their number were warming up or getting throwdowns, one of them pulled up a chair and sat alongside me to watch. I can't recall the exact state of play, but I remember the Zimbabwe batsman alternating between looking objectively awful and actually getting out. <laughs> I remarked to my new friend that this was pathetic, it was a disgrace to call it a test match, and that the Zimbabwe team would be better served in providing opposition to the fourth team I was on my way to play for. My neighbour remarked that he tended to agree, but pointed out the team had lost some of their better players, so I might have been a tad harsh. I responded that most of these players weren't much good to begin with, and probably would have struggled to get into this, and I quote, piss poor outfit. The chap laughed, said I was probably right, then left to go and get changed. And that was the first and only time I ever spoke to former Zimbabwe leg spinner Paul Strang. <laughs> 24 tests, 830 runs at 27.06 and 70 wickets at 36.02. <laughs> that, bless you for sharing that with us. That, uh, <laughs> retrospectively excruciating. Oh, God. Didn't you have an embarrassing moment the, uh, the other day? Almost certainly. Uh, which, what are you... <laughs> What didn't, you you text, didn't you text me about an embarrassing... Uh, oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. I uh, I was at the moment, the way... Normally when you have auditions, you sort of go to London or wherever and do them. At the moment, you're mainly just taping yourself on your on your phone. They send you the script, you do it. And um, we have uh, someone doing uh, some building work here at the moment, and he came upstairs to ask me a question the other day uh, just while I was recording... <laughs> <laughs> while I was recording one of these and all I heard while I was, you know, I'm so focused on what I do, of course, you know, you block out these extra noises. I heard some footsteps coming up the stairs, stop and then go down the stairs and uh, the stopping and turning around coincided the moment where the character that I was uh, reading for the part of shouts the line, I've done terrible thing. I give young men money to give me <laughs> uh, So, um, yeah, that was, um, anyway. Oh. 
If you see that, if you see that uh, line expressed in the forthcoming drama, it'll either be by me or someone luckier and more proficient. <laughs> um, there we are. Um, well, thank you very much indeed for all those letters. Uh, yes, this week's question uh, is: uh, Have you any extraordinary stories to tell about uh, away days um, with your cricket team? And of course, any more sightings of cricketers in petrol stations? Do get in touch. Um, Please send your emails to middleplease at hotmail.com. I think perhaps I should issue a note of caution. Perhaps it's not a good idea for people to keep <laughs> buying bird tables and coal <laughs> uh, and presenting them to cricketers they spot at, train, uh, at, uh, at petrol stations. But maybe we'll think of another approach. <laughs> or maybe it was a good idea. Um, yes, if someone, like, you know, comes in touch and says... <laughs> <laughs> I've just presented Chris Reed with a bird table at Membry or whatever it might be. Um, that would be, uh, in a way, heartwarming. Um, excellent. Um, thank you very much indeed uh, for listening. Thank you from me, Miles. Thanks very much indeed for this week's brilliant guest, Danny Wyatt. Um, Mark, would you like to um, issue your uh, your final war cry? Um, yes, just remember that uh, a spoonful of sugar will help the medicine go down and we'll see you next time. I feel a surge of deep satisfaction, much as a king astride his noble steed. When I return from daily strife to hearth and wife, how pleasant is the life I lead. Um, it just, just rolls off sometimes. It's got, it's all, you've got to have a couple of big big tunes in the locker for when you go down the karaoke. Um, <laughs> imagine, imagine. Hello, mate. Have you got, uh, have you got anything from Poppins? Um, I can't imagine that the men's club in Ashton that was good, don't we? Well, thanks very much, Dave. That was a lovely... Uh, that was our 10th <laughs> performance of Angels of the Evening and uh, a song that gets better with every listening. Now for something a little bit different, would you please welcome uh, 95 mile an hour pace bowler, Mark Wood. <laughs> Singing, It's a Lovely Day with Mary. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back next week or, I mean, I don't know what... Uh, Chronologic. I don't know when people listen to these, but at some point, perhaps you'll hear us again. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been. For all the latest cricket betting markets, in-play odds and promotions, visit williamhill.com or download the free app. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.